I'm going to start very soon in a passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel. <clears throat> but before we go there, I felt this morning like yeah, when you come away from a week being away with uh, the Lord and with His generals, it's uh, pretty incredible. You, you literally have streams of life flowing and so much that you want to release. The challenge is where and when and how. So we really hoping that the Lord just keeps showing us what to do next and what to release and what to challenge in us, what to call out of us and what to point us towards. So I want to say like over the next while, we've got some friends coming back from travels, about four people still out of the country, I think four or five people. We want to get together soon and as often as we can over this time just to be in God's presence, let him speak and keep igniting us. Because it's a very, very exciting time to be alive. Don't you agree? Either it's a very, very, very exciting time to be alive, or it's the most desperate, depressing, terrible time to be alive. It depends which way you look at it, right? If it's, I'm not always ultra-positive, by the way. I know I'm, I'm more on that side. But I don't know how often over the last while have I looked at the news and the situations and gone, if I was not... A believer, if I didn't know Jesus, I don't know what I would be doing to myself. I, I, would, I would probably be a wreck by now, or maybe I wouldn't be alive, because it is such a train smash out there in the world. But then on the other side, God picked you and I to be alive right now, to serve him and to extend his kingdom at the best time that any believer could, I think. Any believer in God's household, would, I think, would love to be alive today. So what are we doing with that? This is a question I had. What are we doing with the great opportunity that we have to be alive? Are we looking around and going, just beam me up, Scotty, or take me home, Lord, <laughs> or get me out of this mess, or are we going, oh, my word, look at the opportunity we've got. In the Lord, he's chosen us, and better yet, if you have children, He's entrusted us to even bring little ones into this world to be the light bringers and the kingdom, the, the, the kingdom children that he desires for our future, however long that is on this earth. I don't know. Not going to get into that now. But I wanted to quickly talk about three men. Try to keep it to three. But some men that were, you don't hear their names enough, I don't think. And um, I'll give you their names. Uh, the first, we're going to read about them in 2 Samuel, but the first name, we're going to go with uh, Joseb. He's got, a, he's got a double barrel name. I'll give it to you. Joseb, uh, Basbeth, Basbeth. We're going to call him Josh. Josh is easier. <laughs> Josh is the first one, okay? Second one is Eleazar. That's easy. Eleazar, Eleazar, Eleazar. And the third one we can call Shama. So Josh, Elazar, okay, it's a good name, Elazar. I actually know an Elazar in Cape Town. Beautiful name. And he's a, he was, grew up a Muslim and became a believer. A guy called Elazar from Mitchell's Plain. Beautiful man, still serving God. He was a professional footballer. And I never knew why, why he was called Elazar. And now I know. <laughs> because I'm a believer and I've seen there was an Elazar who served King David in the Old Testament. And you'll hear about what he did. Um, and the third one is Shammah. So a little bit about these guys. These are men 
who risked it all for their king, their earthly king, but they risked it all for their God. They, at the time that they lived, before Jesus, Jesus came from the lineage of their king, who was King David, of God's people at the time. But these men risked absolutely everything in their lives for the time that God gave them to live. And I believe that what he's asking us is to, this, to do the same. But would we risk all on Jesus? And so I'm going to read a quote before I touch a little bit more on those three men. And this quote has struck me all week, probably more than anything. And the quote is this, very simply, if you want to write it down. I don't have it on the board, on the wall, but it's this. It's very simply, to risk all on Jesus is to end all risk. Hey? To risk all on Jesus is to end all risk. Who wants to end all risk? Like, I, I'm, I want to end risk. So the way to do that, according to the Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers back in the day, Spurgeon, that was his quote, and to, to risk everything on Jesus. Not 80% of our life, half our life, everything on Jesus is to end all risk. I was thinking about it, like some of the things that make us feel like those that struggle to live in this life, those that I wish up, it's too difficult, Lord, to be living in 2023, I think it's because we count the risks too often, if I'm honest. So I'm actually going to jump to my end because I've got something here, and it's, this is not a definitive list, but how often do you and I ask these questions um, Financially, it's so risky, Lord. Taking jobs, considering other nations, considering change. There's a risk financially in our lives all the time. We're considering financial risk, aren't we? Constantly. It's, it can take up a lot more thought than even the Lord Jesus sometimes. What about health risks? Considering risks around our health all the time. What about just general safety and protection? The risk... Hey, we've had break-ins in the street that we live right now. People coming in during the load-shedding hours of the morning. My neighbor's putting up these special cameras trying to put booms in our street. And I've just got, we've just got neighbors. We had, we, had, we had squatters. How's this? Move in over Christmas into an abandoned house in our street. Yeah. And we got like security guys to come in and throw squatters out. And we had these mavericks come in and pick, put them in a van and go and drop them in Brooklyn and Big men guarding the house. There's chaos in us. It's a risk to live in a lovely suburb in the middle of Milnerton, Sunset Beach. Safety risk every single day. People that I bump into are talking to me. Have you got the cameras? Have you found the security? You know, like, you know what? I just want to risk everything on Jesus when I hear that, including the, 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 the safety of my family. I'm going to lock my doors and put the cell phones away at night, Taryn. Put the laptop away. Don't leave the laptop on the dining room table. I said to Tara, I'm just going to pack things away to not entice people who might stand by the sliding door. Yeah? I'm not going to buy a gun either. Chatty. When Dale and I were talking about, like, you know, like, I mean, it's this, there's risk on both sides, whether you arm yourself or not. I'm like, there's risk all the time, Lord. But I want to risk every, I'm, I'm, whatever he leads me into, I want to risk everything on him. Because anything outside of that, I, I'm still, I, I want to end all risk is what I'm, so I come this morning, it's huge. So last night in worship, I'm a, I'm a word. 
there were encounters, hey? He, I was like, Lord, you're just doing so much. And this guy went down. Actually, Ozzy was next to me. The Ozzy guy they were spoken about. I didn't realize until afterwards. Oh, that was Ozzy. He just hit the deck. And then these guys were praying for him. And, and then I felt, as I was considering this quote from Spurgeon about risk, I felt the Lord give me a picture, which I think was more for me, but also for us today, not, not for last night to be shared with the, with the wider family, but it was this picture of, jump, of jumping out of an airplane, me jumping out of an airplane, simple picture, parachute on the back, and actually, when you jump, I think I might be one of those that need a push. I don't think I'm going to jump. I'm going to be like, someone's going to have to push me out that plane, like a friend would have to do that. It is the, the only way I would do it, because of heights, not... I'm okay with heights, but it's not my favorite. So if a friend has pushed me out the plane and the parachute's on, it was like, I can only rely on one thing. That parachute must work. And it's the same with Jesus. It's the, when it comes to our finance and the protection of our families and our safety in South Africa and our health and, 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 and. Parents, our children, when we, we think about ourselves, but we think about them way more, right, parents? So it's not only us we're considering now, we're thinking about the little ones. So it's like double whammy, double the amount of things to keep you up at night, double the risk. In some cases, triple the risk, depending on how many kids we've got. <laughs> snip, snip, snip. Anyway. <laughs> End all risk. <laughs> but... um. The more you have to trust the parachute, the more you have to risk everything on Jesus. You know what I mean? Like their health. Who knows? Who knows what's coming tomorrow? He knows. And I thought about these men in the Old Testament. Josh, Alazar, Shammah. And I'm going to read a little bit about them uh, in 2 Samuel. Let's read a few chapters together from 2 Samuel chapter 23. And from verse 8, 2 Samuel 23, and from verse 8. These are the names of David's mighty men. There's old Josh, okay, a Tekemanite. He was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Ah, lovely. Love that. Verse 9. Next to him was Eleazar, the second one, son of Dodai the Ahohite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David, when they taunted the Philistines, the enemy, where they were gathered at Pastamim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. It's Eleazar's story, the starting to unfold. But Eleazar stood his ground and he struck down the Philistines until his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Okay, keep going. Verse 11, next to him was Shammah, the third guy, son of Agi the Hararat. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it, and he struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief men came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water, and he said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men 
those three that I spoke about, they broke through the Philistine lines. They drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured the water out before the Lord. Okay? Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty men. And we'll go to, you know what, uh, I'm not going to read through this, but there's a, there were 30, there were a lot of men, okay? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at 18 for now. Talks about two other very interesting characters as well, and there's more. But I want to stick with those three. And, uh, and maybe just come back to the scriptures later. Thanks, Buffet. So the first guy, um, when you think of Josh, spear in hand, 800 men. How many men are here? Maybe 60 adults. 800 men. Can you just imagine? One spear, one man killing 800. I mean, how tiring would it be to, for me to take on one man? two or three in this room. I mean, look, most of you are bigger than me. But if five of you came at me, I might have a chance depending on which five, but <laughs> it's Mark, it's easy. Marius, I've got no chance. He's the strongest elder in uh, Josh Chen. <laughs> the children will tell you that and the children speak the truth. But really, I was, I was thinking about it. I played football with Bryce the other night and this, this, guy, this guy doesn't turn up and then he, he makes it really hard. And it was really hot. And we were four against four men. And we were blowing. Hey? It, was, it was so tiring. Sometimes it's so tiring to, to exercise. And you realize, like, how do guys go to the next level? Like, how do you push your body to the next level? You realize to, fight with, to have a fight or a wrestling match is really tiring. I think about it. This man, 800 men killed him. Spear. What about Alizar? fought for so long that his sword froze to his hand. Can you imagine that? And the Lord brought about a great victory in that time. So here's the thing. These were, these were supernatural exploits, 100%. These were men who risked their lives. They risked their lives, the power of God working through them. So I want to say we can go out there, we can take risks, we can... Try with all our might, and we're going to get nowhere without God, without the presence of our Lord, without this morning, last night, this past week. Deacons will know from Wednesday night. Elders will know from the past weekend. If God can slay 800 enemies, one man with a spear, what does he want to do with you and I in our day and age? Because we're living in a day and age where we we have the salvation that Jesus provided. We have the Holy Spirit, wonderful counselor that Jesus said we will need. We know the Father through the Son. We're empowered by the Spirit. And he's calling us. We're the 800 men. What's my spear? You know, What's the sword in your hand? And, and what is comfort in our lives that will stop us from seeing a sword freeze in our hand? Because that's a bit painful. Maybe not more than a bit, maybe. <laughs> but these are men that didn't count the cost. They didn't settle in comfort. They walked in the supernatural. And there was something beautiful about each of them. 
But there was a third thing. There was an honor for God, which was clearly evident by their honor for their leader, the one that God had raised up above them, ahead of them, alongside of them, to lead them. There was something of men of honor. And we see that with the water account, with the fetching water. Incredible. Incredible. I didn't speak much about Shammah, but he took a stand when no one else did. Bravery. Middle of the field. He defended that place. Struck the Philistines down. And there were others who did great things. Others who killed lions. Killed giants. For David, but for God. David's God. But also for David, their king. David, their leader. And listen how they honored their leader. Isn't it amazing that all David longed for was water from his home place? It was like, I wanted fresh water from the well where I come from, you know? Now, that's all he wanted. And they broke through enemy lines. They heard the need of their leader. They heard the need of their brother. And they ran through massive risk, risked their lives. God was with them again. Supernaturally, they were able to break through and bring back what David had asked for. And David didn't even give a command. That was the interesting thing. It wasn't like, I'm your leader, king. I command you to do that. He just said, oh, I wish, how, if I could I just have some water now from, you know, my home, my home place and from the well that, and, and, the, and they, they just respond out of love, out of commitment, out of zeal, out of not counting the cost or the risk, but just knowing who their God is and that he will be with them. But don't you love David's response? How incredible that David's response would be, actually, I can't drink this. Because the way that those mighty men honored David made him see how beautiful their hearts were actually for the Lord. And he poured back what was given to him. David poured back what was given to him to honor his Lord. And you can just imagine him. You know, just in tears, and I can't even accept what these men have brought back for me because they risk their lives. And God, I see you in this. And instead, he, he sacrificed the water and he poured it out as a drink offering to God. And we see that carried through even to the New Testament and even the likes of Paul writing, and just the something of like, thank you, but for what you've done for me. I give this to you. This, this water belongs to you, God. You raised these men up. You gave them the supernatural victories. You gave them the victories. And David very well knew that every victory he had, it was the Lord who brought about victory. David knew who his God was. And his mighty men knew. And it was beautiful. I love that beautiful exchange of thank you for the honor, men, but the one we honor is you, God. And I'll read it again. Verse 17, <laughs> verse uh, 16, but he refused to drink the water, David. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives for me? David did not drink it. And these were the exploits of these three mighty warriors. And I realize this kind of... Uh, Reverence and awe and fear of God is the key to the victories 
that they saw that was the key to the, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind having some of those victories. I don't know about you. I don't know if I want a sword frozen to my hand, but I wouldn't mind seeing 800 men taken out by my spear, by his power. It might look different to 800 men out on Greenpoint Park. Okay, we can't, it's a different day and age. But think about the battles in our suburb. Think about the battles. It's the same concept, the spiritual battle. What are the, which are the 800 men? <laughs> which giants? Which lions? Which enemy garrisons? Which battle lines are standing in front of you and I personally, but also together as a family? Remember when Ross was here in September? Ross and Lee, about September. How dare we not take the land? How dare we not move forward? It's army, it's uh, military talk, taking the land, breaking the enemy lines. It's, this, is what, this is the land the Lord has given us. This is the time that he's chosen us to be alive. And we have battles that can only be won in the supernatural realm. And can only be won the strength of the Lord behind us. And if he could do what he did through them, what can he do through you and I? All we need to make sure is that we have God with us. Do we have him with us? And there's, an, there's a reverence and an awe that I believe he has for each of us. And we come to him in times like this, worship, last night. That would become a lifestyle for us. Being on our knees before him and seeing him for who he is and for what he has done. He's granted us salvation. I mean, by... By pure revelation, the likes of David in history understood because it was David who said, my Lord. He knew God is his Lord, but he also knew the Son. He knew the Son because he had, he had prophetic revelation. He even wrote in the Psalms. He spoke about my Lord, the Lord, said to my Lord. David knew before <laughs> the Lord God said to my Lord, the Son, the Savior, who was to come from his bloodline still, he had revelation. He already had revelation of the Trinity and the fact that the Son has always been around. He was there. Jesus was around when we were being created. When his Father was creating the world, there was a sense of awe and reverence and revelation that David had. And you know, we've been given it all because just by being born in our time, we have, we have everything to, to do great exploits and to risk so much. But without the awe and reverence of who he is, we won't see the battles won like these men. So, and I feel like there's something that the Lord wants to do with us, which is very deep. I mean, we went deep very quickly. It's almost like we it's just, yeah, <laughs> okay. All right, Lord, you've got our attention this morning. What is it that you want to say to us? I know one thing, he didn't want one of us to miss him today. I looked around the room, there's about five people I don't know. And I felt God say, he does not want you and I to miss him today. He doesn't want us to miss him. Intimately, he wants to encounter each of us and meet us. And what does he want to give us? Well, let him speak to your heart. But I do think, as a, as a group of people, I think there's something very clear to me that he wants to give us. And it's a deep sense of, of, of reverence and awe and fear in a healthy way, of who he is. He is the same God who raised up David, (laughs) 
who gave victories to men that would be hard to believe in a children's storybook. They are so outrageous. But here's the thing. They, they're, not, they're not storybooks. It's our God. It's history. It's real. It's biblical truth. And God has been doing these exploits through men and women like you and I throughout the ages. And in our age, he wants to do it through us. So what are we going to settle for? My question, I don't want to settle for what we've come to up to now. I feel like there's a battle line, like a garrison, and something for us to step through. (laughs) And it's going to take jumping out of the airplane, whether your friend has to kick you out or whether you're braver than me and you will jump out. But here's the thing. Risk it all on Jesus and end all other risk in your life. Because you know what? We're going to have way more risks coming at us tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. The risks in, let me say, the risks through the natural eye are just going to grow. It's not like things are going to get better in our world and so the risk, the risk element is going to come down. Finances are going to get better. Property is going to get better. Cape Town is going to become safer. South Africa is going to sort itself out. Politics will improve. Uh-uh. It's getting worse, guys. We are called to a life of suffering because we follow Jesus. We're called to suffer. And um, I was chatting with someone this week. We don't even know suffering. We haven't even come close. The early church knew something. Men in this age knew something. We have got very comfortable, soft bellies, actually. We are soft people. I'm talking to me and you. Some of us have got softer bellies than others, I know. But I've got a Sweden belly since I came home, according to my kids, which is a soft. Imagine, it's even prophetic. Because you eat a lot in Sweden, it's cold. But also, the government do everything for you. So in a spiritual sense, Sweden, soft belly people. It's easy. I'm trying to work on that in the natural. But in the spiritual, in the spiritual, we don't yet know what it's like, really, to be out of our comfort zone. If we're honest. It's so comfortable for us. It's so comfortable for us. We don't need to take risks. And I think the Lord is saying, guys, Greenpoint, Josh Jen, Atlantic Seaboard, I've given you a terrain that is hugely challenging. But what a beautiful opportunity to be his hands and feet and his kingdom, his kingdom bringers in this part of the earth. Wow. And he entrusted us. Amazing. But we need to learn to be those and we'll risk everything on Jesus. And then we'll end all risk at all. <laughs> what a life to live. I'll try and bring it to a close. Who's heard of David Livingston, the great missionary, pioneer? I think he's from, I think he's from the UK, if I'm not mistaken, coming through Africa. Zambia still has a town called Livingston. We've got churches there in our field of churches in 412. But David Livingston came through our continent, and um, he said a lot. <laughs> so someone said to David Livingston in his missionary days, <clears throat> his friend said, we would like to send other men to you, David. Have you found a good road into your area yet? Remember, this is first world asking, is there a good road into the area that he was pioneering in? So you know what he said to them? He said, if you have men, back in the UK, 
who will only come if they know there is a good road. I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. And it was a sense of like, I want men and women who will risk all on their God. Don't. If you see a road, it's easy. That's what he was saying. If you don't see a road, we need to rely on our God. I can tell you with the 800 men, men standing in front of me, I don't see a road, even if I've got a spear. If I, <laughs> think about it. If I see a Philistine army and my leader has said, I want some water from over there. Okay, and I see the army. But by faith, what can we do in the strength of the Lord? Amen? So a few things just to wrap us up, like bullet points, just to get some nuggets to chew on. David's men were willing, firstly, volunteers, willing. Not forced, but willing volunteers. And they served out of devotion to their God, but also out of devotion to the, to the leader that God had raised up over their life. We need both. There's a devotion to, you've got leaders in your life. You've got, they are leaders. It's God's way since Moses, David, the early church, the church today. He's going to raise up men and women to go ahead to lead. There's something of a, a devotion of a volunteer army, first to our God, and then to those that he's raised up amongst. And only then will we see, will we see uh, the enemy pushed back. So one other thing I wanted to share. Hmm. I didn't mention the love that these men would have had for their God, a love that they would have had for their, for their leader, for David. It's one thing being tough men of military times, but actually devotion in itself, responsibility in itself, warfare in itself has to be underpinned by love. Without the love of our Heavenly Father and without a love relationship with Him, we will never, we will never do great exploits. It's not just raw, raw strength. We supernatural warriors. It was a deep love. You can imagine David pouring that water out, not only love for his heavenly father, but love for his men, like a deep sense of they risked their lives for me. And likewise, those men loving their leader so much that they would risk their entire lives. I think there's a love story and a love theme right throughout this. And if you, if you consider it from that, love is there. There's, God's love story flows through the stories and chronicles and Samuel about David and his mighty men. It might look only like military, but oh my word. It's the love of God. It's underpinning everything. Amen? So what are some of our enemies? Power of darkness. We might not see all of our enemies standing in front of us, but there's the power of darkness coming against us. Maybe our Philistine army is quite simply anything that is not in the light. Everything that is not in the kingdom of light is in the kingdom of darkness, and therefore that is the garrison, that is the boundary line, that is the Philistine army, that is the 800 men staring at you every day as you get up trying to read the word and spend time with our Lord, and it feels like there's 800 men ready to pounce. It's because they are. It just doesn't look the same as it did for Josh and Eleazar and Shama. <laughs> But that darkness, hey, the Bible says in the New Testament that sin is crouching and waiting to have us. It wants me. Darkness wants to take me and you 
out. And that is, our, that is the army up against us. And the Lord is saying, come, find me in reverence and awe. You're going to see me as you should see me. And watch what I will do with you. Watch what I will do with you. I mean, I, I've realized about 30 men. Isn't, isn't there a theme throughout, especially the Old Testament of God, whittling down armies, eh? It's quite amazing. I'll tell you the other picture. There we go. The other picture I had last night, besides the parachute out the plane, I think in the prophet Joel, I might be mistaken, it might be somewhere else or various of the shorter prophetic books, there's imagery of uh, God's army coming like locusts and ants running over the mountains and just devouring the enemies. And that picture came to me in worship last night. I had such a victorious picture. Imagine the mountains of the Western Cape and suddenly God commands his army and his angels and you just see swarms of ants, locusts, whatever, and they're just covering the mountains, just devouring our enemies. And you go like, that wasn't me. No, no, it was, it was God, the God of the universe, our God, our commanding officer, in a moment can bring about that kind of destruction. He's powerful. He's very, very capable. <laughs> and that imagery is something that caught my attention last night. Do we see the, this, you know, these mountains? Do we see what he can do through us? Obedience, reverence, love for him of a life devoted to him and love, devoted to the men and women that are taking a lead in your life together as an army. Do we see what, what he will do? All he needs is, all David needed was 30 mighty men. How many did Gideon need at the end? How many did many of those great, the Lord's greatest victories, the Old Testament, the smallest, most devoted army, when he got, the, when, he, when he won hearts, when he saw reverent, people that relied solely on him, risked everything on him. He's like, I can use that army. I can use those people. There's none of themselves. It's total reliance on me. And then he brought about the victory. It's easy for him. But he wants us to risk everything on him. And that's where I want to leave us. <laughs> can we do that? Can we stand together? Please let's stand and um, close our eyes. Let's just wait on him for a moment longer. Ask us a question. Honestly, as you just search your heart and me with you, ask the question, what, Lord, show me what, Lord, is central to my life right now? Is it you, Lord? Is it absolute risk on you? Is the only parachute in my life you? Or the other things, fighting for centrality, my heart, my mind. What am I prepared to risk today? What am I prepared to throw off today? We'll ask that question together. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just spend some time with him. Just let him, just let him speak into our hearts, just to show us. Lord, I want to pray that and ask that you would show us very clearly, very intimately, areas that we are not prepared to risk with you. Areas in our lives that we're not prepared 
to give up centrality and allow you in totally to that place. I pray that you would show each of us, men and women, and that you would do a deep sense of heart surgery in us. That you would cut out like a, like a surgeon with a knife. That you would cut out anything that we're not willing to risk with you. Whether it be finance, whether it be home, whether it be children, health, safety, all these things that are important, but not everlasting. Important, but needing your supernatural grace and covering to cover over. That we may risk all on you, Lord Jesus. Our provider, our everything, our supernatural King, Lord, Savior provided everything for us. Lord, I commit our hearts to you as a people, as your church, as family and visitors, and say, Lord, we are your people. Just as we're doing individual heart surgery with you, Lord, I feel like I want to pray over us and ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fall on us, that you'd blow wind over us, that you'd supernaturally enable us to jump out of the plane. To risk it all with you. Maybe it's again and again. Or maybe it's for the very first time. You would right now, Lord Jesus, right now you would empower us. Empower us. Empower us with your presence, with your Holy Spirit, power and grace and anointing to walk out the life that you bought us for. To walk out the life that you bled for. The image of the cross. You were punished for us, Lord bruised and you were mocked and you were beaten so that we would be able to walk in power and in victory, Lord. We would be able to walk in a way that conquers 800 men in front of one of us. To walk in a way that defies logic, that does not make sense. <laughs> to walk in a way that sees your armies backing us, behind us, going ahead of us. Lord, you've called us to that. So Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you come, Lord? Would you fill hearts in this place? <laughs> Would you overshadow strong minds, Lord, where there's a battle in our minds? That you'd come and engage us in our spirits by your power and your presence and by your truth, the truth of your word. That you engage our spirits, that you'd override where our minds um, take control, where our minds get into worry and anxiety. Lord, would you override by your spirit? And would you equip your children this morning? Equip us, Lord, to live lives of risk on you, Jesus, our perfect prince, prince of peace. But also our commanding officer who's coming back to bring an end to all things. He's coming back as a warrior. He's coming back as the head of heaven's army. He's coming back as a fiery warrior. Our Lord, Jesus. <laughs> Oh, we love you so much, Lord. We love you so much. We say we rely on you. We look to you. Today we look to you afresh and anew and with trust in our eyes that we didn't have. We woke up this morning. We look to you with, the, with a new set of eyes to believe you, Lord. Not just to believe something about you, but to actually believe you and what you say, who you are. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.